Hi, this is Jen Kelly, the host of In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Australia's history is littered with ne'er-do-wells, scallywags and flat-out bad guys. So if you're interested in hearing about some of the darker characters from our past, download the show now. That's In Black and White, available wherever you get your podcasts. He actually murdered his wife Did in he? New South Wales. Yeah. Goodness me, that was, uh, yeah, so was a bit rash. But was she insured, Will? Three dead people on the road. Oh, my God. Uh, which was my introduction to policing. Oh. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. Today, we welcome former police inspector Andrew Atkinson, who has come to our notice because he's written a book about his 27 years in the police force. He tells us that he actually wrote it for his children. It wasn't an attempt to write a commercial memoir, but he wanted to write his own history in the job, as police call it, so his kids would know what he'd done. But having finished it, it turned out better than perhaps he thought or anyone else thought, and he's decided to publish it, and that's why he's here, to tell us some of the stories that are in his most excellent book, Copper, A Life in Law Enforcement. Welcome to Andrew Atkinson. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Andrew, just background yourself. Where do you come from in country Victoria? I grew up in Warrnambool. I was born in Ballarat, but moved to Warrnambool when I was a couple of years old. Wise move. Yes, yes, yes. Nice to get out of Ballarat. Uh, Warrnambool was a great place to grow up uh, by the beach. Yeah. Uh, I got heavily involved in surf lifesaving yeah. uh, and loved that sort of lifestyle uh, and spent most of my childhood there. And family down there, down that yeah, way? Yeah, i still got family down there. They still live down that way. They um, were there then? They were there then. My father was born and bred in Warrnambool himself. Was he? Um, I've got uncles that lived in Warrnambool. In fact, my uncle, um, Tom, was a, a local copper. Was he? So that was a little bit of an inspiration for me to, to join the force. Oh, I um, see. But yeah. he, was, he was back in the day when uh, they used to, you know, kick you in the bum and send you home. Um, All that, that yeah. sort of That sort of era. Oh, Warrnambool Police in that era would be quite interesting. There's the May races. All that sort of thing. All yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff. I had experience at May races myself when I ended up working there myself as a senior sergeant. Did so, you? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Uncle Tom was a bit of an inspiration. What sort of bloke was Uncle Tom? He was one of those fellows that had a lot of respect in the community, but he also ruled with a bit of an iron fist. Yeah. And he was well-renowned around town. A lot of people knew him. Um, so a little bit of fear, a little bit of respect. Yeah, but yeah, it went both ways. Went yeah. both ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family, your parents. So my uh, my father was a school teacher. Yeah. Uh, mum was a nurse. Yeah. Mum passed away about seventeen years ago now. Oh right. Um, and dad uh, dad taught at different primary schools in and around Warrnambool and was the principal there at one of the schools. Oh, I see. Is uh, that uh, why you write so well? Well, I don't think so because I was, uh, like my father, I was a bad speller. So um, thank God for autocorrect and those sorts of things. So. Yeah, well, let's, we, have, we have those things now and without it, uh, we wouldn't get newspapers out. <laughs> that's true. That's would true. we? Um, but I was struck when I picked up your book, which you kindly sent in a, a few weeks ago. I just picked it up and read the start, and I was struck with how sharp it was. Just take us through that, that opening sequence. You, I think, are a young man at the police academy, and something happened. Yeah, I, I actually had, had a, a failed attempt, if you like, at joining the police force in 89. I, yeah. I, I got accepted, and it was right on the, the, uh, the 11th hour that I rang and said, no, I don't want to go anymore. And uh, Why did you do that? I just didn't think that I was ready for it. I was only 19 at the time, and I just thought, no, it's... Be a good name for a song. Yeah, <laughs> and I just, I just thought that, uh, no, I couldn't, I can't do it. So I pulled out, 
and then I applied again a couple of years later. What did you do in the interim? I wasted two years at university. Oh, you did accountancy? I did accounting. I did applied science. I was a regular at the beer nights. Is it true that you wasted it or did you learn some things that just I, stuck with you? Well, I, I had a few life experiences basically and I sort of grew, I grew up a bit. I matured a bit and realised that um, I can't spend my life doing nothing. I needed to, do, do, to something. do something. So eventually you do end up in the job. You had to make a comeback. I made a comeback. I was a little bit concerned that they won't, ex- they wouldn't accept me because I hadn't really demonstrated commitments, particularly wasting two years at uni. Uh, but I got through that all right. They saw that I'd grown and matured. And what excuse did you give, Andrew? Did you say, I needed to be more mature? I did. I said that I needed to grow Perfect. up. I needed some life experience. And they'd have to give that a big tick. And they gave that the, the thumbs up. So I, I started the academy uh, Easter 91. Yeah. Uh, and um, the academy at the time was only 19 weeks, which most people wonder, how can you learn to be a policeman in 19 weeks? But the reality is you're not learning to be a policeman. You're just getting the foundation. Yeah. And you learn when you hit the road, when you're on the street. So You um, learn to clean your boots. You, you learn to clean uh, the boots. I, yeah. I had to sweep the roundabout was one of the um, tasks that I was had to do every morning and yeah. you know that sort of thing. But uh, I lived in the academy, which most people did at the time, and yeah. uh, I shared a room with another fellow. And, uh, but in the class one day, we're in the classroom learning all about the law and, and all those sorts of things. And suddenly a, a man burst into the room. He had a balaclava on, he had a shotgun. He fired a couple of shots, yelled out a few things and, and ran out of the room. And, um, straight away the instructor said, right, write down everything you saw. And everybody wrote down what happened, what they saw, what he said. And then we compared all the, the notes and we saw how different they were, how everyone perceived things in a different way. And the lesson there is that yeah. when you get your witness statements, they're not always what actually happened. So you need to be careful. You know, that was the lesson. It's anyway, a good lesson, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. For, for, every, yeah. for police and for journalists and a lot of other people. That's right. So, and, but, and, for, and for judges. And perhaps. judges, but perhaps. And juries. <laughs> and later that night I was in my room asleep at sort of, you know, one yeah. o'clock in the morning and the next minute the door burst open and there's two men there in <laughs> Not suits. Not again. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, here we go again. They're sort of extending this uh, this prack. <laughs> and uh, so I'm mentally taking notes of everything that's happening. And yeah. I'm up against the wardrobe and there was two men in suits accusing me of stealing a car and all sorts of things. And I'm just mentally going, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've got this. I know what's going on here. I'm looking at these blokes. And, and then another fellow turned up, talked to these two fellows and they left and closed the door. And I quickly grabbed my notebook, as did my roommate. We jotted down everything that happened, everything that was said, everything. Yeah. And we thought, right, we'll be right, ready for class the next morning. It turns out the next day that it was a actual ESD, your ethical standards inquiry. Into the real deal. The real deal. That someone, a, another recruit, had stolen a car from the local pub to drive back to the academy. What a great idea that was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they'd actually got the wrong room. They thought it was our room. They've come into it and b- accused us of stealing the car. And <laughs> it wasn't even big us. Big learning curve here. One <laughs> is they've let blokes into the into the academy who would be silly enough to do that. That's yeah. a good psychological sort of well, screening yeah. manoeuvre. Yeah, yeah. And the other one is they're capable of <laughs> of raiding the wrong room. <laughs> raiding the wrong room. So yeah. I guess I could have made a real issue of it back in the day, but uh, yeah. I think I valued my career more at the time than, than taking it any further. Why do they think it was yours? Just the look of you? No, yeah. no. I think it was the it was the same room number but different floor. They just got the wrong floor, so oh, it was, they didn't it, walk up a number it, of steps. Is that an interesting um, example of how things can go wrong with raids? Well, absolutely. Because I have to say, I've heard of several times when raids have been wrong. 
Uh, a friend of mine, in fact, was trussed up by the SOG, and he doesn't resent it at all. But he and his girlfriend were raided because they thought they were burglars, yeah. and no burglars are in the other flat. Yeah, you know? I've no doubt and, that it yeah. happens on numerous occasions, and yeah, uh, yeah. it yeah. does happen. Yeah. Um, so that was the start of your uh, of your police life. Where did you go from there, from the academy? Where did you do your basic training? Well, my training station was Mooney Ponds. Um, oh, that's And it was good. I I rang this the the roster sergeant there and said, "Look, I start next week. Um, you know, what's the deal? What do I do?" And he said, "Oh, well, we've got five new people starting, so I've actually got you a night shift, and you start Sunday night." But oh, okay. So I lobbed up there bright and early. I got there about nine o'clock. My shift didn't start till eleven, but keen and enthusiastic. And uh, I met my my partner. So what they they roster you with a senior member, and he you would be effectively rostered with him for a few months, so he could teach you the ways of the world. This and is a, a, a constable Campbell. Yes, Des Campbell oh, Des was my uh, partner. And just before the start of our shift, we got a call. They believed it was a fatal car accident. We jump yep. in the uh, van and I'm quickly flipping through the Melways map trying to find out where we're going and luckily Des knew where to go and we get there and sure enough it's a fatal, three dead people on the road. Oh my God. Which was my introduction to policing. Oh. I do recall that they used to call the Accident Investigation Squad turned up the AIS and they you know, examining the scene and, and I was tasked to follow one of the AIS members around and he had a little little Tupperware container with him and right. I thought, oh, you beauty, he's got some you beaut tool in here that'll yeah. be able to do something fantastic you were, with. You were wondering about this. Yeah, I'm, you know, inquisitive, yeah. young yeah. copper, you know, never seen this sort of thing before. There's bits of body all over the place. Yeah. And I'm watching this fellow and he's sort of leaning over a body and having a bit of a look and he opens up the container and I thought, oh, here we go, he'll be able to pull something out. And he pulls out a bit of cold pizza and starts eating his dinner while he's... Did he? Well, he's hovering over That's this body. Another, another lesson. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how do you do that? Do, tell me this. Are there some people whose temperament is suited to those jobs? Oh, absolutely. Like that guy. Yeah. And others who just never are? Like, it's, was it something you'd ever be able to do? Eat pizza while you... Well, I don't know that I could eat pizza while I was um, hovering over a dead body. Even after years of it? You, yeah, you, you sort know. of do get a, a used to it. You get yeah. used to seeing, you know, every aspect of life. In fact, you know... And death. W- w- and death. One of my old senior sergeants used to say that we had front row seats to the greatest show on earth and that's yeah, probably right that's the point is that life and death is yeah. really that is the greatest yeah. show on earth there's turned out to be an interesting character um that's one way to put it yeah from my reading of the book yeah i um i, ca- I came into work one day and um and des came in uh we're on the early seven o'clock van and des goes oh, i've just got to shoot home I've, i forgot something he lived just down the road in brunswick yeah. so we get down there and uh we pull in the drive and he goes oh god i've been broken into my front door's open so, <laughs> bit of bad acting. <laughs> yeah, so we go in there and have a look around, and you know, there's things obviously missing. And uh, he says, did you, oh, "Were you alarmed by this and pull a weapon or anything?" Yeah, I did. I thought, well, well maybe the the offender's still there. So I've pulled my gun out and ready to go. And Des is sort of looking at me a bit strange. And oh, so he wasn't that alarmed? No, he for didn't. His personal, seem, he, for his safety. No, no, he he assumed that the offenders had gone. I see. Uh, so he, put your gun away, please, Junior. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've gone in and he said, oh, look, you know, we'll save time. Can you just take the crime reports here? Yeah. So I filled out all the paperwork and done all the business. And he said, I'll ring the detectives, which normally I would have done given that I'd taken the reports. But I thought, oh, well, okay, Des, it's your house. You do whatever you do. And He's a senior bloke. Yeah, so I'm being a good little trainee and, yeah. and doing as I'm told. 
And a couple of weeks later, I discover that uh, Des didn't come to work. He'd been arrested for uh, insurance fraud. Had he? Des had formulated his own burglary. And had he? <laughs> and, and what sort of very kindly used you as a prop? <laughs> used me. Uh, I was investigated by... Uh, How was that? Well, how did that unfold? Yeah, it was quite a few accusations levelled at me, but um, fortunately they... Well, internal affairs, yeah, whatever they, yeah. B11 or whatever, whatever we called they, them then. at the time. Uh, ESD or something. Uh, the yeah. internal, the toe cutters. That's the ones. That they took you into uh, headquarters? Into 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 headquarters and uh, gave me the heavy-handed treatment. And, and uh, <laughs> ultimately they realised that I was just the naive, just a mug. Uh, yeah. just a naive mug and uh, I was able to keep my job. I actually thought that was it. My career was over. But, um, yeah, that, that worked out okay. Now, Des, Des, as I said, is an interesting fellow. He's actually in prison at the moment. Is he? Not, not for anything to do with his burglar of his house, but he actually murdered his wife Did in he? New South Wales. Oh, yeah. goodness me, that was, uh, yeah, was so, a bit rash. But was she insured well? <laughs> well, I believe so. I believe so. It was on their honeymoon. Um, she fell off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> I remember that case. <laughs> yeah. She fell off a cliff. Yeah. So, yes. um, Des, uh, yeah. So, I remember him. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, that was in, they'd gone up, I think, to the Blue Mountains. Somewhere where up there's that a way. very yeah. steep. And she was never and a camper, too, which was always never odd. a camper, and uh, might have been slightly older lady. Yeah, slightly older, and probably happy that uh, Desert turned up to marry her. Yeah, and um, funnily enough, she was well insured. Yeah. <laughs> so that, well, oh, that's a very interesting one. Yeah. So Des, I think Des got twenty-two years for that. So. Well, so he should. Yeah. yeah. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. You've been a trainer, you've got through it. What happened next? Yeah, I went to uh, Protective Security Group. The SOG was part of the Protective Security Group and I went there purely because I wanted to ultimately join the Special Operations Group. You did? And I thought it'd be, you know, I could get to know the blokes and, and have an opportunity to do some training. Right. Didn't quite pan out that way, but no. um, but I did make some great contacts there. But the Protective Security Group at the time, they had a lot of jobs like court security and just, you know, festivals around the place and that sort of stuff. And, and, and one of the jobs that I went on was up to um, Cobram, up on the Murray. Yeah. Uh, they have their, I think it was a biannual Peaches and Cream Festival where they have bands on, along the, the river there and we were up there to public order, that sort of thing. Yep. And this particular occasion, there's a lot of the bikies turned up, Black Hewlands or someone were yeah. all up there for their annual annual oh, run. What could go wrong? And they were all parked sort of along the side of the river. It was a, it was a stinking hot day. I'm walking along thinking I'm pretty cool. Yeah. Big, my, big, fit young bloke yeah, with your yeah, good gear got, on. Got my police gear on and yeah. walking along yeah. and strutting past the bikies who are all on their bikes, all sort of looking at me, you know, there's a bit of a stare off going on and... And I've got my big GP boots on and I'm strutting <laughs> along the, the track and there's a big puddle in front of me. And I thought, oh, that's no worries. I've got GPs on. I can step through the puddle. But what I didn't realise was the puddle was half a metre deep. Oh, no. And as I stepped in it, I sunk yeah. to the bottom and uh, much to the roar and, and pleasure of the bikies who were <laughs> howling and hooting. 
And I uh, I went to take a step out of the puddle and my boot actually stuck in the mud. And I've, oh, I've pulled out my it's getting my, worse. my foot with the with the boot stuck down the bottom. So then I've rolled up my sleeves and reached down and dragged my soggy wet boot out and they were howling. They thought it was a great old great old day. So. Yeah. so that was the Cobram experience. That was the Cobram experience. And how long did you stay in that group? I was only there twelve months. And is that one where basically they get as I say, you were a strong, fit sort of big bloke. That was they tended to select those sort of people for those sort of jobs. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you had to do a fitness yeah. assessment to get in yeah. uh, to the PSG at the time, and and uh, you had a bit so of lifeguard in you. So I had a bit of lifeguard in me. I had a, you know bit of warnable footballer. Yeah, yeah. Done all those things, so yeah. I felt fairly confident. And I actually enjoyed my time there. One of the things I did there, I did the uh, the shotgun course, which is oh, right. where they actually teach you how to use a shotgun and. Um, once I'd finished the course, I was the pump action, the pump action, the yeah, Remington, yep. the Remington shotgun, and and I, I was uh, tasked with a group of blokes to go down to Port Ferry, just near my hometown, to yep. to the Calaxo factory down there, and escort some drugs back to the city. Right. So we we had a convoy of um, of three four wheel drives, and all got our shotguns, and away we went down to Calaxo, which is about a three and a half four hour drive. Um, picked up the. The, the shipment and escorting it back to, to Melbourne, to the airport where it was flown out all over the world. And uh, what, I was, sort, what sort of drugs? Do you know? Uh, it was morphine mainly. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well worth stealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was sitting in the back seat of the car with my shotgun and the barrels sort of facing up to the, the ceiling of the, the vehicle and yeah. I'm sitting in the back seat and I'd had a four-hour trip and I was feeling a bit fatigued and I've slowly f- fallen forward, a bit, bit tired and... Fell asleep with my forehead resting on the barrel of the shotgun on the actual hole. Where the oh, <laughs> that's not good. I'm glad. <laughs> Woke up half an hour later with a big 10 cent piece mark in the middle of my forehead where I'd sort of fallen asleep. Nice so, of your mates to alert you. Yeah, yeah, so much for firearms discipline. But uh, yeah, I survived that. Lucky we didn't go over a bump or something and my figure was on the trigger, so that could have been ugly. But yeah, so. That's not good. <laughs> um, no safeties on them? Yeah, there is a safety <laughs> tape. It would have been okay. <laughs> probably, they probably took my ticket off me if they had a scene. But yeah, yeah, no problems there. So the PSG also um, undertake witness protection. Yeah. So and that was pretty pretty busy at that time with a lot of the. It was post Walsh Street, but a lot of those characters from Walsh Street were still under uh, witness protection. So there was right. still a lot of work happening around those individuals. So uh, there'd be. A- Perhaps one of the star witnesses, uh, or proposed to be a star witness. Yes, who that she ultimately backflipped. But backflipped. That yeah. she was in, in all that for a long time. Yeah. So there was a lot of work that we undertook there with witness protection. Yeah. One day I was looking after a couple of young kids who belonged to one of the witnesses, and uh, we took them away for the day. Me and another couple of police for a day out just to get them out. And on the way home, we stopped at the local milk bar near where. That we were protecting these witnesses, and we uh, we came across, by coincidence, uh, some other police who were in town to do a drug warrant. And you just happened to recognise them. And all. I just happened yeah. to recognise yeah. them, and I asked them what they were doing, and they said, oh, we're here to do a warrant. I said, oh, yeah, no worries, we're, we're about. And they said, oh, they described the house, and I straight away twigged that it was the house that we were actually staying in. Oh, dear. The local police hadn't done their, uh, their background checks no. too well, and um, they just had 
you know, information that there was cars coming and going at all hours of the day and night. Which is true. Which was true. Assumed it was a some sort of drug action. and uh, Which it normally would be. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they were getting ready to go and do a raid on this place, which would have been quite ugly oh, with, yes. uh, with a number of police, including members from the Special Operations Group, oh, no. standing around with uh, shotguns and whatever oh, else. So that could have been... Could have been fairly ugly, but uh, luckily we were able to put a put put the brakes on that. And, Before, uh, oh yes, save the horror badly. there. Yeah, and very badly. Yeah. Now, while you were in that group, I think you used to do football. Yeah, we uh, security. We right? used to. Yeah, we used to back in the day when um, you used to see a lot more police at the football. Yeah. Um, I remember those days. Yeah, before Victoria Police started charging for the services. Yeah, which, a lot of police and mounted police. Yes, which <laughs> once they started charging for the services, um, significantly reduced the number of police at the football. But yeah. I was uh, actually on the ground doing the security of the, the ground at one of the AFL semifinals. I think it was Geelong and Hawthorne, maybe. Yeah. And I was standing on the ground there, um, uh, just keeping an eye on the crowd and that sort of thing before the game. And the crowd directly in front of me started sort of roaring and hooting a bit. And, and I turned around and the Geelong mascot, the cat, was um, mimicking, taking marks over my back. And yeah. much to the amusement of the crowd. Oh. And I just sort of let it go. And and the the person in the cat suit got a little bit more ambitious and got oh. a bit closer and ultimately grabbed my hat off oh. my head. And that was, in the day, was, you know, you never take a policeman's hat. That no. was That was pretty... I wouldn't yeah. do it now, personally. Yeah, yeah, probably not. But uh, the cat kept running past me with the hat, you know, just sort of teasing me, much to the delight of the crowd. And uh, the cat got a little bit close, a little bit confident, a little bit close, and I put up my arm and gave a beautiful clothesline oh. rugby tackle and, and yeah. dropped the cat to the ground. Oh, no. uh, and in doing so, the head fell off the cat. Oh, no. And uh, And the person wearing the suit was... A young female who was winded by my actions. Oh no! A teenager. <laughs> a teenager. Oh, and goodness. I've looked around, and it was on the big screen. It was being shown live on Excellent. the big screen. Uh, so and there was a lot of um, booing and hissing. It. <laughs> yeah. Really, what could you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got my hat back. So you got your hat back. Wasn't too and bad. I she got a, the cat put its head back on. Yeah, cat put its head back on, and, we're, and, we're and call and, it quits, and and sulked away. <laughs> who, who won the game? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. I know I got. Uh, Fairly chastised from the superintendent for my actions, but anyway. Oh, well, you weren't to know. Really. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Andrew, you have told us some of the stories that are in your most excellent book, Copper. If our listeners are interested in it and in reading more, where can they get the book? Yeah, you can buy the book online is the best place. Um, if they uh, go to andrewatkinson.australianauthors.store, they'll be able to find it there, or that generally comes up if you Google it. Excellent. So it's called Copper, A Life in Law Enforcement by Andrew Atkinson. Coming up next week. We bought a um, AK-47, $50, and got to test fire it in the market. Just in the air. air. Let a few rounds go. Yep, we'll take this. And bought some grenades, and they were $3 each. We drove up to the border, and as we got close to the border, I just threw the AK-47 out the window and landed in the bushes, and we drove down to the border and... Got over to Oman and, and I flew home a couple of days later and it, uh, I was never so happy to get home. Thanks for listening. Please comment or rate it on whatever platform you're using. And if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. A troubled young woman. 
her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.